Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Dave Hall. I am your host. Here we are back again talking about retirement, talking about that longest self-imposed period of unemployment. Most of you will have in your lifetime could be 10 years. It might be 20. Heck, it could even be 30 or 40. It is what we call retirement. If you'd like to learn more about what we can do to help you get safely through retirement, go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here we talk about all the various risks that you'll face in retirement, the solutions, the strategies, and give you a lot of ways to better understand the things that you should be doing for your own retirement. Today, we're going to be continuing in our show from last week, where we are going to ultimately cover the top 10 risks. Last week, we covered five of those. This week, we're going to cover an additional five to continue on that conversation. I've got Brian Britt with me. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. I'm excited to finish the final five of, of the magical 10. Yeah, last week, we talked about uh, longevity risk. We talked mm-hmm. about social security risk, tax rate risk. We talked about sequence return and withdrawal rate risk. Today, we're going to start off by talking about long-term care risk. So Brian, as we look at something you addressed a little bit last week, but let's talk a little bit about why this is becoming such a problem for retirees. Yeah, this is this is a, a one that I think a lot of people know about. It's no big surprise to them that it's important, but they just don't know how to deal with it. They're just hoping, I think, a lot of them, including me, that we all just die peacefully in our sleep. And that's the way it used to be a long time ago, right? So with longer life expectancies, even though we are actually living more healthy even than we were when life expectancies were shorter, our chances of ending up needing some type of care doesn't have to be in a facility. It could be someone coming into your house every day and helping you with things, but statistics dramatically rise. And I don't remember the exact number, you might know it, but I know that if you look at a married couple, more than a 35% chance that one of them is going to need long-term care. I don't know if that stat is correct. Yeah, 35% chance that individually will need long-term care is actually higher than that for a married couple. So it's much higher than most people even realize when we look at how big of a risk it is. And the longer we live, obviously, the bigger problem it's going to become. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing I'll say about this is when you build a financial plan that's designed as a blueprint for retirement specifically, which is different than building a plan when you're in your 20s and your 30s, right? So that's obviously what we do is we build these retirement blueprints. When you do it, you don't want to necessarily just focus on, can I afford to self-fund my long-term care? Because a lot of people can. It is really the question to ask is, The surviving spouse, if there's two, right? The surviving spouse is the one that really does bear the brunt of the aftermath of that care. And just as an example, my mom, my dad had very expensive care for probably three years. It was about 5,000 a month cash. They were off the books to a wonderful lady that lived in the house. It wasn't part of an agency or anything. And, you know, that money really did put a dent in my mom's assets. Now, luckily, she had enough guaranteed income strategies in her life. And the way that I built her plan, she's able to live to 100 and she's never going to run out of money. But I will tell you, she was worried that she didn't have as much as she thought she would have after my dad passed in 2014. And they didn't have long-term care. And you know, back in that day, and when I built their plan in the early 2000s, there were really no good options for long-term care as there are today. This is really a new thing that we as planners have access to. 
And there are a lot of tools out there. We have other shows where we've talked about it. We'll do future shows where we'll get into some of those tools as well. But do want to continue on talking about inflation risks, something that many retirees, as well as any of us going through our working years, have gone through over the last four or five years with where inflation's been. Brian, talk a little bit about its challenges in retirement. So, you know, right now we're, of course, are in a period where things are unquestionably more expensive than we've seen, right? They feel like that at least. So the price of gas, the price of food, price of homeowners insurance, like everything just seems so expensive. And, you know, they keep blaming it on the pandemic and supply chain issues. But the bottom line is if you look at inflation over time, two and three quarters percent a year is a reasonable number. We use 3% on all of our plants today just because we got so much pushback from people when we were using two and a half. They were like, no, come on, right? But a year and a half ago, I was getting pushed back on two and a half that it was too high, right? So I think when we build blueprints, using a 3% inflation factor is key. But here's really the thing to think about. If you have, for example, expenses of X, let's just assume they're going to rise every year by 3% for the rest of your life. If you build your plan around that assumption, we feel as fiduciaries that you're pretty well covered. But the one thing, and I will put kind of a positive spin on this, if you have, for example, investment real estate, when a lot of people model their rental income, they don't inflate it for some strange reason. And you and I always jump right in away and go, wait a minute, we're going to increase your rent by 3% a year that you're getting from your you know, little ADU or if you're you know, a real serious real estate investor. So uh, I think there are ways that we can plan for it correctly. And as you know, Dave, there's also instruments out there that offer lifetime guaranteed income from large insurance companies that rise with inflation effectively. Those are key because we see a lot of people come to us with these static plans like, oh, I have an annuity or even I have a pension, but it's static. There's no cost of living increase. So we have to just do the math. It's not the end of the world. We make it work, but we have to do the math. And that's the key is do the math. You also need to understand that there is a sequence of inflation, just like there is a sequence of return, that those of you that have gone through these really high inflation years that we've had over the last four or five years, you go back into the uh, 70s or 80s, some of the times that we had there, it's going to have a bigger impact because obviously the amount of money you're having to spend up front is more than you had anticipated for many of you because the costs of these things have risen so high. But as Brian mentioned, when we look over time, up until the last bump we had over the last few years, it was sitting at 2.8% over the last 100 years, now it's at 3.3. So as you look at a 3% rate, falling right in line with uh, what we believe it's going to be as we look to the future. Brian, the next one we need to talk about is Medicare. I know it's not necessarily one that you spend a lot of time on. I've had a passion for it, so I've spent a lot of time on it. But any comments on Medicare as we jump into it? Well, you know, I, I think the one thing I'll say about Medicare, just meeting with so many people and building so many plans, that is the area where there seems to be the most confusion and also the most stress because a lot of people just don't understand all of these little idiosyncrasies. And it, well, if you do A, then it's going to affect B. But if you do B and A, then you have to deal with C. You know, this is why I'm just grateful for our partnership because I know that you've done a tremendous amount of education and homework on that particular area. I would bet you're probably one of the top informed people in the country on this, but I, I can't prove that. That's just my opinion, my love going out to you. But what are your feelings on the whole Medicare thing? 
I agree with you that it is one of the least understood, most important parts of retirement that people have because what the government promotes is we have Medicare. If you look at it, most of what we see is Medicare. Once in a while, you'll see an Advantage plan ad or something of that nature. Someone may talk about a supplemental plan, but there's really three main decisions you've got to make around Medicare that could impact you. Three things have got to happen. One, you've got to figure out when you enroll. Understand like any other health insurance, there are set enrollment periods. And if you don't sign up, there are consequences. Number two, what plan are you going to take? Are you going to take original Medicare by itself? You're going to add a supplement plan. You're going to do a Medicare Advantage plan. That all operates differently. So if you get the wrong plan and you happen to have wrong health issues or something else could cost you substantially more. And the last one that's least talked about is the IRMA adjustment. The one where if you make too much money, you could be paying extra Medicare premium. So all those things are stuff that we look at as we go through the process to help you get to a better position for your retirement. And again, we've had some shows where we've talked about some of this. We'll have future shows where we'll address it. But all three of those become very critical as you look at the process of Medicare and where you need to get with the appropriate health insurance through your retirement. I had a quick question for you, Dave. So in my mind, I'm 59. I always say, hey, as soon as I'm 65, I'm not paying these insurance premiums anymore to my carrier that I have now. Are you saying that that is not necessarily the best way to go about it? Not for everyone. For people like you and I, yes, because I'm assuming you're as I am on the exchange or some other platform versus having an employer that's paying that where we're self-employed. We're in the same ballpark there. But you've got those who have employer-based insurance where the employer's paying for that, that insurance. No need for them to get onto Medicare at age 65. Now, for you and I, going to be substantially cheaper to get onto Medicare at that age than what we're paying in the exchange. Regardless how expensive you may think Medicare is, substantially cheaper than exchange insurance and what's getting charged out there. The next one we need to talk about is elder abuse, another bigger issue that's coming up. It's something that we didn't even talk about four or five years ago. I got connected with Peter Lichtenberg, Dr. Peter Lichtenberg. He was on our show a couple of weeks ago. He is the top expert in the country on this topic, and it opened my eyes to some of the challenges out there. Now, one of the problems is, is you can't predict elder abuse. Sometimes things like Social Security, Medicare, we can do analysis based on estimates, figure out what we need to do. But it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem because of technology, where we've got this larger population with the baby boomers. We've got a population that's got more money than any group of people, and you've got unscrupulous people out there trying to take advantage of them. Brian, any comments on your side about elder abuse and the challenges or, or experiences you've seen where this has happened to people you've worked with? You know, the only thing I can say here, not to steal a catchphrase, but if you see something, say something. And I'll give you an example. I had a asset management client of mine that was with me for at least 25 years. So we just, I knew everything about him. You know, we, he and I were very close. Uh, we talk at least, you know, once every three or four weeks. Towards the end of his life, a new person that I had never heard of before, a name that he had never mentioned to me, all of a sudden started showing up and sending me emails asking me questions about his money. That immediately got me thinking, okay, who is this person? His kids were all, he had no kids, uh, this particular guy, so he had no one for me to call and say, hey, do you know who this is that's dealing with dad? All of a sudden, this woman you know, just shows up. So I asked him about the situation and he said, oh, she's great. She's a neighbor who helps me out with stuff. Right. So in his mind, she was a blessing. Right. What we ended up doing, I was senior VP at Merrill Lynch at the time. I went to our legal and fraud department and they gave me some great guidance on how to deal with the situation because 
ultimately, it did turn out to be his neighbor who was helping him pay bills, going and food shopping for him. And it was totally legit. She wasn't attempting to do anything underhanded. But I would just say, you know, a lot of times people just get uncomfortable even bringing the subject up to someone older in their life, right? A friend, because they don't want to make that person feel like they're incompetent to make their own decisions and know someone's ripping them off. But I would just say, if you see something that doesn't look right, first say something to the person. If that person is not competent mentally, let's say something's going on uh, that they can't really understand what might be happening then I would go to their inner circle. Hopefully there might be some family members. That's the easiest thing to do. I'm assuming even family members, you have to be careful. So we as fiduciaries are in an unusual position. We get to see the end result of attempts on elder abuse. And I think we are in a great position to go in and advocate for the person that we have been dealing with in a relationship. But anyway, what that's my thoughts. What are, what are your thoughts? Your, your story reminded me of an experience that I had, and I've never shared this in any of my presentations. I don't know why. It's a, a perfect example of what can happen out there. One of my, uh, an individual had come to me, hadn't been a client. He was an individual who was trying to sell his insurance business. He had a home and auto insurance business, and it was struggling a bit. He was in his retirement years, wanted to get rid of it. He didn't want to have to pay the taxes on this. So he brings his secretary in, sits down in my office, and proceeds to tell me how he is 100% confident that she's going to do the right thing, that he wants to he trusts her with his life. She's been with him for years now, not done anything that he knew of that would cause any discrepancies in her trust and what she would do. So he wanted to move the ownership of his company into her name. I mm. said, okay, there's ways you can do this. I would not recommend it. I don't know her at all. You're telling me you trust her like you would a daughter or anyone else in your life. So if that's what you want to do, this is how you do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Not going to do it for you, but if you want to do it, go ahead and take care of that and transfer the assets. So that's what he did. He transferred all over over to her, put the cell together in the process. I had to go review the books because you've got a business trying to get values, trying to look at things. All of a sudden I discover she's been stealing about $100,000 a year from him. So it wow. wasn't that his business was going downhill that he was doing bad. She was taking all the cash and he didn't know this. So he just thought that the business was down, thought it was fine. Well, then now she owns the business. So he's trying to sell it and all of a sudden she's kicking back going, uh, sorry, I own your business now. I'm going to take all the money. You're not going to get anything. And I just couldn't believe a human being would do that to someone. She continued to fight him after the business was sold. After he got into a nursing home, he was in a nursing home. She was still trying to fight him for money. Evil people out there, but uh, it happens. Unfortunately, there are those type of people that are going to portray the, the, your best friend and it's just not going to work out that well. The last one we need to talk about is lack of income and diversity risk. This is another one that oftentimes other advisors don't contemplate because many times advisors are going to put stocks and bonds together and social security and you're going to pull money out of a 401 1k or IRA and match it with your social security and everything's going to be perfect as they look at it in their world. We understand that multiple streams of especially tax-free income can be very helpful. Ryan, share some thoughts on lack of income diversity risk and what we need to look at. Yeah, this is a good one because I agree with you. A lot of people don't really think outside the box when it comes to this particular issue. They may have social security, Maybe they have a pension. Most people don't anymore. And, you know, in their mind, derive some self-directed income 
from a 401k that they saved a bunch of money in, even if they get it into a Roth and it's tax efficient partially or, or completely. When it comes to the biggest risk in this area, I kind of think about columns holding up a roof, right? I, everything is now in my mind construction, right? Because I've been engulfed in construction for the last four months. But, um, but you think about when you know, you're building a roof, right? And the columns holding up that roof. Now, if each of those columns independently are stable on their own, that's fine. But if those columns are linked to a system that could disrupt all of them at the same time, that's a problem. So when you think about income, you want your sources of income not necessarily to be correlated with the other columns, if you would think of it that way, right? So when we say correlated, let's just say, for example, you have your social security. Okay, that's a pretty independently secure source of a column, right? But then you have a 401k, you have a stock and bond portfolio. Okay, let's just take a typical person, right? Well, the problem is that 401k and that stock and bond portfolio are all invested into the same stuff. They're stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever. I don't care what you have. And I don't care what your mixture is between stocks and bonds. Because the problem with stocks and bonds is they become very correlated in certain kinds of market corrections. 2008 was a perfect example. But even in 2022, when the stock market was down 22, 23%, the bond market was down 30% because that whole drop was being caused not by stocks being bad, but by interest rates rising, which affected bonds. So when we build a plan, we want to make sure that as much as possible, we don't have direct connections between the columns of income. So this way, if one column is having a really bad year or two or three, we have other columns that are completely disconnected from that. And we can literally shift our income needs to the columns that are behaving better. And let's say, for example, the column that's not behaving is stocks, bonds, and you need income. Well, if you built your financial plan correctly, you can get all of your income sources for a few years from other stuff that's not linked to your stock and bond portfolio, giving it a chance to recover rather than being forced to rip money out of that column in the worst possible time you could do it, where everything is undervalued, everybody's panicking, and you're selling at rock bottom prices, not because you want to, because you have no other sources of income that can make up the difference. So that's kind of my design philosophy is don't have the columns connected where one thing can rip the other down. I completely agree with you. And unfortunately, there's not enough people out there that look at this and most advisors don't. When you look at many of the things that we talk about here, it's very, it was very interesting for me to get where I am today and go through the process trying to solve the issues in my own retirement. I hoped I could go find advisors that did what we do. And I couldn't. I looked at people that understood taxes. I looked at people that understood Social Security and Medicare and elder abuse and all these things. And I found that there were organizations that dealt with two or three of these things. And many of them did a great job of it. There was just nobody out there that wanted to take the time to deal with all of the issues that I believed were critical to get when someone safely through retirement. So as Brian and I got together and said, hey, we've got the same passion. Our goal is to get people down the hill. We want to make sure that you pass away uh, with the money that you want for your legacy, that you have the income going down that hill to be able to do what you should, and that it all doesn't get destroyed as you go through that process. That's where retirement risk advisors came about. And really why we have so much passion for what we do is we know we have access to the tools to always do the right thing for those we have the opportunity of working with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll leave with one thought on this lack of uh, advisors or designers out there thinking about 
even income diversity or sequence of return risk is another one, right? I think it's something that I would maybe call institutional education bias. So depending on where your training comes from, CPA, investment advisor, representative, financial planner, whatever it is, you're going to have a bias based on the way that you were taught. And I grew up in the financial asset management world. I didn't get into financial planning until about 18 years ago, but I grew up in the stock bond trading world. And then eventually the money management world where we had third-party asset managers running the portfolios. Like for example, Merrill Lynch, wonderful company, but the mantra was very clear. It was all about diversification within your portfolio, which had nothing to do with diversifying income sources. It had nothing to do with basically protecting against sequence of return risk because you could sit here all day long and tell me you got 60, 40 stocks, bonds, and then that whole entire system decides to collapse 2008, 2022, 2019, another one, and you're going down with everything. So I don't think it's the advisor's fault. I don't think it's the planner's fault. I think it's just the way that we were all educated by our mentors. You kind of just go through your career, you know, just continuing to repeat that mantra, whatever it is. And I think that's what separates you and I and retirement risk advisors is not only do we think outside the box when we build, but we live outside the box personally. You and I, with our own assets, are doing every strategy that we recommend to people, not because we feel like we have to do it because we're recommending it. It's because it works and we know it and we can see it. And once you know, once you see something, you can't unsee it, right? Once you pull back 30,000 feet and you go, oh my God, that's how you do it. And I think that's what really makes us different is that we not only think outside the box, we personally live outside that box. We do. And it's something that we spend a lot of time trying to better understand that we can always improve that. In fact, it's interesting to me as you talk about advisors out there and we appreciate other advisors, we appreciate all they do, but you take someone like BlackRock, all they do is money management investing. They themselves now are even coming out saying getting income in your retirement is one of the best things you can do. It'll increase your chances for income success. It'll reduce the risk that you have. And then you've got uh, Fisher out there that's saying all you need to do is stocks and bonds. Well, I'm sorry if we can't accept everyone in the pool. If we can't accept that we all have good ideas, I think we've got to really look at ourselves. And part of what we've done is said, look, let's look at the universe. What are the best things we can bring to, to bring to you? Brian, our time's up. Love the opportunity to get back together with you on the show. It's always fun because we get the opportunity daily to work with each other. But thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. And I'll just leave you with one thought. Uh, as you're out there looking for planning advice and asset management advice or whatever, Anytime you hear the words always or never, take pause and evaluate that person's advice because there really are no always or nevers. It depends on how you build your blueprint. So just keep that in mind. There's a lot of things out there to make that blueprint work. Always and never does not exist in our vocabulary here at Retirement Risk Advisors, and it shouldn't exist in yours. That's my final thought of wisdom for the day, Dave. With that, I'm going to end. I don't think I'm topping that at all. So <laughs> listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolute uh, great pleasure to spend our time to have this opportunity to share our knowledge with you. My name's Dave Hall. I'm your host. Look forward to seeing each of you again next week. Hey, if you liked what you heard and you want more retirement risk education or you're interested in signing up for any of our many retirement-focused webinars, make sure you check out our website at retirementriskadvisors.com. 
We have a lot of great resources, tools, and information on retirement available to you right at your fingertips. And if you're on social media, you can find us at Retirement Risk Advisors on Instagram and Facebook. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Retirement Risk Show with our host and retirement risk expert, Dave Hall. We here at RRA don't just get you to retirement, we get you safely through retirement. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back with you again soon. 